what a day it's been, dear diary. It's been just like a dream. Woke up too late, wasn't where I. Hello and welcome to Postcards from a Rock and Roll Tour, the podcast, which is now into its fifth month. I have to say, I had no idea how this podcast was going to be received, but the response has been wonderful, and thank you again for everybody who's been listening. And please keep your questions and thoughts coming in. We now have apparently quite a few thousand listeners, and we hit number 30 in the Apple Podcast Charts in its category. Now, whilst I don't actually know what that means, it does sound nice. One thing I would ask, though, is that you hit the subscribe or the follow button on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. Now, for anyone listening for the first time, this is a podcast about the Go Now Band, which performs the music of the legendary Moody Blues, a classic rock band from rather a long time ago, but whose music, I would argue, is more relevant today than it's ever been. We perform a lot of songs about love and enlightenment, and one of which is Nights in White Satin. This has the chorus with the words, I love you. Those words are pretty much the entire lyrics of the chorus. The three little words that can change someone's life for the better, forever. I would argue we could all do with listening to lyrics like that right now. We also play a song with the title Isn't Life Strange, which is a question posed, really. Perfectly suited for politics in the UK at the moment, by the way. A friend of mine recently mentioned that his son had lived through four chancellors, three home secretaries, three prime ministers and two monarchs. He's four months old. Whilst these geopolitical and macroeconomic events were rocking the world, the Go Now Band were quietly rocking audiences in concert halls in various states of America, singing I Love You to everyone who came along. On Wednesday, the 5th of October, we all flew out to the music city capital of Nashville, which is also the capital of Tennessee, for a concert at the beautiful Skirmerhorn Centre with the Nashville Symphony. For English musicians to not only travel to but perform in such a place, as I said in the last podcast, is the stuff of dreams. We had two full days to rest in between landing in Nashville and performing in Nashville, but rest was the last thing we did. Either collectively or individually, we all took the opportunity to seek out as much live music as possible. And in a town where music begins pretty much everywhere at 9am in the morning and often sooner and goes on until well into the early hours, there's no shortage of choice. Broadway in particular, which is the main street of the town, has more bars playing live music than you can shake a stick at. It's simply unbelievable. The noise of each band blends into the next as you walk down the street. Now, try imagining for a moment as a bit of a thought experiment that you're standing in a large concert hall with multiple stages surrounding you, but you're blindfolded. Now, imagine somewhere in front of you there's a band playing Johnny Cash and directly behind you there's a funk band playing Earth, Wind and Fire. To your right, you can just make out the sound of an experimental jazz group playing something you've never heard of before. And over to your left, there's a violin playing country music as fast as possible. And it's all happening at the same time. Have you got that image? Good. Well, sweep that under the carpet. It's even more extraordinary than that. It can, quite frankly, feel like an assault on the senses. The only way to combat it is to drink a beer in every bar. 
which means eventually you forget how many bands you've seen. And none of us could actually remember how many bands we saw in Nashville. At one point, Mick Wilson, our singer and me, decided we'd had enough and we left the youngsters to party. And as we made our way back to the hotel along Broadway, we kept popping into every other bar for about 90 seconds to check out the musicians, and that was without buying a drink. It's like an all-you-can-eat musical buffet. After a good five hours sleep on day two and on the morning of our show at the Skirmerhorn Symphony Centre, we all turned up early to make sure everything was set up for rehearsals at 1pm. By comparison to the previous evening, it was like walking into an empty church. The comparative silence was almost breathtaking. This beautiful venue was named after Kenneth Skirmerhorn, who became the musical director of the Nashville Symphony in 1983. It was named after him just before his death in 2005 and it opened its doors on September the 9th, 2006. So, whilst it looks like it's been there forever, it's actually a relatively new venue. Like all these orchestral concerts that we're involved in, Go Now was part of the Pops season. We stood on stage chatting as the orchestra wandered in and took their positions on stage. It was a stark contrast to the previous night, which I would call syncopated. Now, syncopated is a musical term, which is literally described in music theory books as irregular movements from bar to bar, which summed up Gonau's previous 72 hours perfectly. The concert manager got everyone's attention, and like an obedient classroom of students, all the classical musicians hushed as our conductor, Michael Krajewski, was introduced to the orchestra. Even though there was no audience, etiquette means Michael stands off stage until his name is announced, at which point the class applaud the approaching maestro. Michael then introduces what we all already know, in that we're going to be playing the music of the Moody Blues. He then introduces the Go Now Band, with the orchestra applauding us, even though as yet they don't really know who we are. Only a few yards away, there are musicians of equal ability taking tips in a jar for requests. You've heard that phrase, there's no business like show business? There really isn't. Before Michael was introduced, I saw a viola player sitting in her position on stage with a device that looked rather like an electric toothbrush attached to her music stand. I recognised it as something that's called a dB reader, which is it measures the volume in the room in decibels. Needless to say, when you put a rock drummer two feet away from a viola player, it makes for a challenging mix, shall we say. So, my drum kit is cloaked behind me by a Perspex screen, effectively blocking the direct sound of the drum kit hitting the orchestra behind me. Playing at a low volume level on the drum kit is one of the major conditions of performing with an orchestra. One method I use of gauging how loud I'm going to play is to watch the orchestra rehearse the overture. We don't play in that as it's obviously it's, it's an orchestral solo piece. And I closely watch the percussion section of the orchestra play. They're the guys with the sticks and the mallets hitting timpanis and glockenspiels, snare drums and all things percussive at the back. I figure if I hit my drums with approximately the same intensity, we should be fine. And it's, it's, it's worked so far. So, back to the decibel reader. Before we started the rehearsal, I engaged this viola player in conversation, and my opening chat-up line was, Is that switched on? Oh, yes, she said, 
with the O in her highest pitch and the yes in her lowest pitch. This two-note cadence certainly made me aware she'd be looking at the DB reader as much as the charts. If it gets too loud, she said, we just stop. I attempted to put her mind at rest by telling her I would be playing with pencils and that I was using a drum kit made of paper mache. It got a laugh at least, which is always a good start, I find. Having done this a lot, I'm fully aware of the difference between a happy-sounding orchestra and an orchestra unhappy with the volume. So, my cunning plan sees me tickling the drum kit during the rehearsal to put the orchestra's mind at rest. And then it means during the actual gig, when no one can get to me, when the room is full of people which help soaks up the sound, I can open up during the performance and play a bit louder. I tend to find that if I make sure I keep the volume down as much as possible in the quiet sections, then they don't mind when I need to crank up the energy a bit. And there was a lovely moment in the show where a lady called Lindsay Fagan, the principal flautist of the Nashville Symphony, did a fantastic job of the flute solo in Ray Thomas's composition Legend of a Mind, or Timothy Leary as we call it. She got a standing ovation at the end of the song, which was brilliant. The orchestral version of our show really feels like an event, and although it's not as long as our regular band-only show where we play more songs, it still feels longer than the average tenure of a British Prime Minister. After the show, the viola player and I passed each other in the hallway, and she reached out and held my arm and said, That was brilliant. You should play drums on all our pop shows. In that moment, to get a compliment like that from such an esteemed player meant more to me than anything. With a successful Nashville show under our belts, we headed off for the hotel for four hours sleep, as the next morning we had a very, very early flight to Denver, where we were due to play the Rialto Theatre in Loveland, Colorado. The following morning, there was more syncopation. We found ourselves sitting in another bar, this time at 7am in the airport, eating breakfast and drinking coffee, hoping it was going to give us some energy for the day. And yes, at 7am, there was a guitarist singer playing for tips. Only in Nashville, I tell you. At this point, we had met the threshold of what is acceptable. Totally exhausted from four days in Music City, the last thing we wanted was to be listening to yet another guitar vocalist, especially at seven in the morning. As musicians, unlike normal people, we're genetically incapable of not listening. Normal people seem to be able to switch off and carry on a conversation when someone's playing live. Trust me, I've done enough gigs in my earlier career where the band has been invisible and inaudible to people sitting just a few feet away. Musicians, conversely, simply cannot ignore a fellow live musician, even if you want to. And on this morning, we wanted to. But after listening to this young man for just a few songs, we all realised we were in the presence of something rather special. His voice was simply beautiful. His country guitar chops were amazing, and even at this early hour, he created the perfect concert atmosphere. When you think about it, it's an ideal audience. Apart from one woman who was briskly drinking her third Bloody Mary as she talked on the phone, everyone else appeared not to be in the mood for talking at that time in the morning. With about 50 bleary-eyed commuters sitting in close proximity, he was getting the sort of response most musicians dream of. It quickly turned into a proper breakfast listening party. 
The applause became more enthusiastic after each song, and as the bar filled with a plain load of people right next to the departure gate, his beautiful tones and perfectly chosen songs had his tip jar crammed with greenbacks. His name was Dakota Striplin, and when we googled him as we listened, it turns out he's rather well known. He blew the judges away on the auditions of The Voice in Australia and is widely thought to be the grandson of Elvis. Even if he's not, it's a great story and he even looks like Elvis. So, when it came time for his most enthusiastic audience members to leave for their flight, we had to file past him to get out. So we stopped to say hello. We filled his tip jar with our per diems and wished him well. And with a final wave to Elvis's offspring, our momentous trip to Nashville was over. We have plans to come back, of course, as soon as possible. So, if anyone from the Nashville Symphony is listening, please make the call and book us again. We landed in Denver a few hours later, where our driver there was waiting, and in what seemed like a very short space of time, we found ourselves at the simply stunning venue in Loveland, Colorado, called The Rialto. The Rialto first opened in 1920 and is now the premier performing arts venue in what is an absolutely, well, lovely town. It's a newly refurbed vintage 500-seat venue with a most luxurious backstage area. Huge leather sofas and a stacked fridge full of food. They even put a bowl of M&Ms out for us with all the blue ones removed, just like it says in our contract. The show at the Rialto was sold out, and with no orchestra and no DB reader, I was able to swing the drumsticks like a hitter in a baseball match. And I don't know what it is about an American audience, but we were met by such enthusiastic applause onto a stage we'd never been on before. And we left at the end of the show to a standing ovation. Simply brilliant. The following day, we flew back home from Denver to London, and after what is considered a long time in politics, a week, we were back on the plane, racking up air miles to Buffalo, New York. On Friday the 21st of October, we performed with the incredible Buffalo Philharmonic Orchestra, or the BPO as it's known. This was the trip where we watched history again, as Liz Truss resigned as the shortest serving Prime Minister in history. We were eating pancakes at our hotel, the news pinged up on our phones, and as we downed our third coffee, we watched as Liz stood outside Downing Street and simply resigned. Although this isn't a political podcast, it's impossible not to mention the backdrop to what we're doing. And someone asked me recently what my politics were, and I found myself saying, well, nationally I'm a conservative, locally I'm a liberal, and when it comes to the family I'm a socialist, and by the time I get to the dog, I'm a Marxist. Each to his needs, not his wants. It's cruelly said that politics is show business for ugly people, and it's hard not to feel that regardless of which side of the political fence you fall, in both the UK and the US, the current political situations resemble a reality show rather than anything else. But before I peel off on a tangent, back to the BPO. Our venue for this show was the Kleinans Music Hall. Kleinans, which was completed in 1940, was declared a National Historic Landmark in 1989 due to its wonderful architecture. The venue provided four volunteer drivers to ferry us around whilst we were in Buffalo. Kathleen, Greg, Joanne and Francine. And 
Between the four of them, I found out about its history, which is fascinating. JFK gave a speech there in 1964 as a Democratic candidate to become a senator of New York. In 1967, the year the Moody Blues released the album Days of Future Past, Martin Luther King Jr. gave a speech there following the Buffalo Riot, which rocked the city, and not in a musical meaning, where he proclaimed, We are moving towards a day when we will judge a man by his character and ability instead of the colour of his skin. Looking back through the concerts, it reads like a who's who of the music industry. The Moody Blues first played there in November 1969. The week before that, the Who were on stage there. The following month, it was Joni Mitchell and Led Zeppelin. So, for the Go Now band to walk onto the very same stage 53 years later and play these great songs and be met with such love and appreciation from an enthusiastic audience is special in ways it's difficult to describe. I've mentioned in previous podcasts the recent challenges of the pandemic on society in general and musicians in particular, but compared to what was going on in 1967, you have to put it in perspective. Back then, the job of music was to speak truth to power, and the 60s musical revolution did just that. It feels to me, and this is where I probably sound like an old man, but music today just doesn't appear to do that. It's probably why, in 2022, we can play music from 50 years ago, and it still hits the spot. It's not only a time machine taking audience members back to the emotions of their youth, but it also gives us a reference to the progress we've made as a society over the decades. As long as we keep moving in the right direction and as long as we keep playing this music, I genuinely think we're all going to be just fine. And the Go Now Band plans on playing this wonderful music for a long time yet. And with that, I have to leave you. Until next time. Dear diary, what a day it's been. Dear diary, it's been just like a dream. 